is Theo Goodman. You're, you're, uh, you're now listening to our, our, our on the blockchain podcast. Yo, this, this is Joe Looney tuned in to the Crypto Creative Pop Pop Podcast What's up, Cynthia? Doing okay. We are uh, hanging in there. We're expanding our ethereal coverage here. Aren't we? Episode 17 is here, and as we promised you in episode 16, we left you hanging on some interviews with Furtherfield, with Ruth from Furtherfield, Sam Hart. What's his website again? <laughs> Avant. Avant. Avant.org. I've sat down with us at Ethereal. We have the long version interviews here and we're going to get right into it recording can you hear us check check all right great so we're uh we're at ethereal the event in new york city or i'm sorry in um where are we at massbeth massbeth new york which apparently is queens just outside of um (laughs) flushing where i'm staying we have ruth catlow from um further field we have Sam Hart from Avant. Avant.org. All right. He, Sam has uh, put together the last few eth- ethereal um, art productions, pretty much, right? You're the director of that. The exhibition portion. And so we have um, Ruth here, and uh, get to her first. We are we're on we're on site here in New York, so we're kind of jerry rigging this. So we have a couple <laughs> mics we're gonna be passing around. So if things get lost in the sauce, uh, hopefully I can clean it up. Hi, Ruth. Hello. Welcome. Very nice to be here. Yeah. Thank you for uh, int- the whole intro. We've been talking for uh, a couple months on Twitter here and there and trying to link up and. You really went out of your way to make this happen. Uh, I felt compelled to get you here. It felt important. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. So, um, you're you're big time in this. Before blockchain, even, I mean, you're you've been helping artists. Uh, can you give us a little background about how you got into this space? Okay, party people in the house. I'm co-founder director of Furtherfield with uh, artist Mark Garrett, and we got going in the mid '90s as the web was getting started as a place that anyone could publish to and uh, we were both artists uh, Mark was painter but had done street art private ra- pirate radio bulletin boards and kind of interested in kind of interventions into communication space for radical thought and kind of getting organized I was a sculptor I was a sculptor and then we, I, we, we met in the mid-90s. Uh, my sculpture, my studio was filling up with sculptures and I didn't like any of the options for where they might go. Uh, it kind of just, didn't, none of it made sense to me. So I was making things, but who, who was it gonna go to? The only people who could afford it were people who were 
very wealthy and I didn't really relate to them, so that created a problem for me. Uh, at the same time, the Saatchi and Saatchi scene, young British artist scene was taking off, which was kind of exaggerating that uh, context. So it was meaning that art was kind of seen in London as a scene that kind of was meant to create celebrity that was then promoted by a kind of few media outlets and so it kind of its relationship to kind of promotion and marketing became really kind of uh, sealed and that just had an unfortunate effect on what it felt like to be an artist in London at the time and it made things more competitive it made it harder for artists to deal with social and political topics uh, and just generally made it a lot less convivial. So around that time I encountered a really early cyber cafe in London called Backspace that had set itself up to, it kind of invited artists and designers and musicians to come in and find out what was interesting about the web, how it might be useful to them. That place was helping artists learn about the web? They wouldn't have described it like that. Okay. So basically they'd got some free bandwidth from an advertising agency, the floor above. It backed onto the Thames, opposite the London Dungeons. It was open. It didn't really have a mission statement. It just had an open door. <laughs> an open door with a number of computers, cast off computers with a load of hacked software on it. Okay. And you could pay £10 a month just to go in there and hang out. And basically artists, designers, musicians, uh, a lot of homeless people, business people, and later I discovered like itinerant philosophers from around the world were flowing through the space trying to work out why the web was interesting. So my first take on it was that the web was a really boring space for art. Everything loaded really slowly, it was really kind of, uh, it seemed like a really narrow bandwidth for a sculptor, you know, like get my hands on stuff and yeah. walk around it and more, much more kind of sociable. Um, I'm not going to go on for an hour, I promise. <laughs> no, you're <good. laughs> um, So, yeah, so to get to the point, um, what we started, what Mark and I started doing was just like really exploring how the web was interesting as a medium for art, as well as a space that you could uh, talk about things that you thought were interesting. So we made a couple of ugly web pages, shared them on email discussion lists in Europe and America and South America and uh, Australia and Japan, and then suddenly found ourselves in the middle of an amazing kind of emerging culture that was bringing together artists, techies and activists. Did you find other entities in different regions and around the world doing similar type of things like exploring and looking and that you yeah. kind of just got with them in a web of people exactly exactly and it was it was mainly through email discussion lists at the time and those email what was so great about those email discussion lists is that you would find yourself with artists academics and just and and basically people who have it in them to explore things as they emerge yeah yeah on the blockchain then then we spent the next few years doing platform building basically and started to understand that what we wanted to do was to, what we could do was create a new art context and that was the whole point of it, was that kind of, if we didn't like the Young British Artist context then we would work with other people to build our own spaces and that platforms, essentially when you build your own platforms you're building uh, social relations and that's quite a kind of political thing, it's, you can kind of start to form how you want to relate to people. Sure. So really influenced by free and open source software culture, 
remix, share, appropriation, inspired by kind of uh, anti-art art movements like Situationism and Dada and kind of people who were always looking at new ways of distributing and intervening into culture. Very underground scene. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's good. Here is smart. Uh, I guess the last thing to say is we opened our first get so London's first gallery actually for kind of networked and new media art in 2005 and we've been running a gallery in North London for this stuff since then doing three to five, sh five shows a year. Okay. Yeah. And is it is the gallery still kind of web-based first? So we further feel said, what we say we do is work at the intersection of art, technology and social change. Okay. Uh, but it's really all about how life is different because networks happened. Okay. So it's kind of, networks really changed our way of thinking about art from object to a kind of more relational space. You know, the art happens between people or in the conversation that happens between people or the way they work together or collaborate, that stuff. So that you're very cutting edge, so further field, the name pretty much defines yeah. <laughs> what's Left going Left field, on but further. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was your first uh, exhibit de dealing with cryptocurrency or blockchain? When, when was that? Oh, I think the first exhibit we did was Facecoin by Rob Myers. Was that the first thing? Yeah, and that was uh, we exhibited that in a show called The Human Face of Crypto Economies. So just imagine, okay, so we put a show on called The Human Face of Crypto Economies. It's in the middle of a North London park. Like, so anyone can work, like families, 180 different languages spoken in this park. Mm. And so we just thought, okay, we're just going to go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and in this show, we had uh, Facecoin by Rob Myers. Um, okay, it's early in the morning to describe what this does. Yeah, really? What is Check it out. And it goes a little something like this. It's, uh, I might need a couple of runs at this okay. after the gin and tonics that I drank last night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it takes uh, hashes live from the Bitcoin blockchain and converts uh, the strings of letters and numbers into a uh, grayscale uh, squares. So 64... 64 letter numbers in the string so it's an 8 by 8 square and depending on whether um, depending on whether if it's a 1 then it's white and if it's a 9 then it's black and those all go through so you can imagine okay. it kind of a gray, so gray gradients okay. yes so it it then produces uh, these kind of 8 by 8 squares that if you squint sometimes you can see a face in and so it's using, you think you see face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so Facecoin is a machine looking at these images and looking for faces. And so it's kind of doing that, it's, it's doing that. And that's its proof of work. So it says, as a machine, I'm an artist because I can find a face in it. And what do artists do? They make portraits of faces. So it's, uh, yeah, so it, it, there's a whole, it was, it was kind of a way, when we did it, we thought, okay, this, it, it, I immediately under, understood what I was looking at it when I saw it, and I thought, okay, we'll put this in the gallery and it'll give us a way to talk to people about blockchain. What year was this? 2015. Okay. Yeah. But you can, you can. I'm struggling to describe it now. No, These things are hard to explain. Our, our listeners <laughs> need to go look up Facecoin and check it out, because... Yeah. They go but, down the rabbit hole. Yeah, but, yeah. but Rob, this is the entry point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Rob's been making kind of crypto art and and writing about it in a beautifully clarifying way, really since 
by the process of them understanding it. So sometimes we make things are a little bit hard, okay. and that, but by the pro, once they understand it, suddenly they are, they feel very differently about the devices in their pockets. It's all clicks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and maybe they feel a bit creeped out, and we yeah. think that's good. <laughs> I love that thing that you did with the, uh, showing the teenagers. Yeah. Their dad is not. That's what I, I, awesome. I do that all the time. My, <laughs> my students are constantly afraid. What <laughs> 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 you realize that yeah. this is what's happening. <laughs> I mean, we, we had another work uh, called Kay's Blog. It was actually the piece we did. It was by an artist called Liz Sterry, young artist called Liz Sterry. And Kay's blog, she basically followed, uh, so she was from Essex, and she'd followed a, Canadi a Canadian teenager online. She had, she'd done nothing <laughs> illegal, she just followed her online and gathered information. She'd stalked her, basically. Okay, yeah. <laughs> nothing illegal. Right. But she'd stalked her. And the, then, the legal kind of stalking. <laughs> yeah, legal stalking, yeah. And then, uh, and then she basically built an exact replica of her bedroom. Including her music collection wow. and her clothes, and so and replicated the kind of messiness. So we had a. It felt. I mean, uh, we had. <laughs> it's just a little yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> and then, and then. Uh, Did the stock E know? On the day of the exhibition, she sent her a picture of the art installation. Uh, and uh, if, if we didn't know that the artist was a very decent human being, we wouldn't have gone with it. We knew that she would handle it kind of sensitively. Uh, so Kay completely freaked out <laughs> and begged us to tell her that we hadn't used the naked pictures, which we hadn't. And uh, and then the and then and then uh, Liz kind of. She told her that not to worry. It was all, you know, that what it was for. It was there to help people kind of understand what the that basically. She was when just you, the guinea, unwilling guinea pig at that time. Yeah, yeah. But that the, kind of like really trying to communicate that essentially we're making a window on our world to a million strangers, and that yeah. this is just something. It's interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon. It's a kind of massive shift. Uh, and then so Kay took everything down, all the blogs yeah. from all, and that. But two months later, they all went up and. Wow. Continued as though nothing had happened. So that's wow. really interesting, I think. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. I want to hear a follow-up with what Kay's doing today. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. She's always in a, an empty room. <laughs> what year was that? No that, windows. That was 2010, I think. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah. much has happened yeah. in the last eight years, yeah. too. Like, Social now media. privacy is a thing. I mean, yeah. they didn't even have Instagram back then. Yeah. <laughs> That's how long ago. Or Snap, Snapchat or any of that. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so we're here now at, at Ethereal. Um, how did you get involved with this? Um, I think, uh, well, because we put the book out. Mm -hmm. And the book is Artists Rethinking the Blockchain. Yes. Everybody check that out. There's a downloadable PDF that... We can share with our listeners. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you, you can, can buy, buy it. it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let me let me clarify. We may share it with you all. Oh no, no, it's it's out there. You can definitely download it. But the physical it object a is a thing. Yeah, it's a cool yeah. it's a cool looking book. So yeah. it's got colors. Yeah, it's got colorful <laughs> and pages. And white. <laughs> That's all. okay. So you yeah. started with the you wrote the book, and I guess before that, then how did you get how did you write the book? How did that come about? Well, we bet. I mean, really, since yeah, since 2015, we put out 
uh, yeah, we put out this book this year, but before then we've had two exhibitions. So we had the human face of crypto crypto economies. Uh, more recently, we've had a international touring show called uh, New World Order, which is looking at what happens when natural and social systems get delegated to machines. So yeah. Plantoid and Terra Zero and that. Plantoid's here at Ethereal. Okay. Did yeah. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Yeah. Check it out. Word. And uh, and also we've been doing, we put out a couple of films. We've made a film called uh, The Blockchain Change Everything Forever. And our intention was this, as with everything we've been doing, is to kind of try and collide uh, artists with uh, both techies and the kind of startup cultures. So uh, Change Everything Forever sounds really exciting to entrepreneurs and sounds terrifying to anybody else who is sensible. <laughs> and uh, so that film meant that we could kind of intersect in both. And so that was interesting. And then uh, we've been doing a series of workshops called uh, Dowo. Um, I might explain at some point what that means, but it's basically a blockchain series to look at the relationship between arts and the blockchain. And we've done a series of live action role plays. We've been looking at identity and what the problems with identity on blockchain. Do you go to the cons? You go to the, the conventions? No, no, no. no we've been, <laughs> That's we've, been we've been running a bit. We're, we've had some really smart identity people come to us and talk to us, and they find they, they say that talking to us is the first time they're talking to people from the humanities and from the social scientists, mm. and it's it's kind of I can see their eyes getting wider and wider as we problematize everything around identity on the blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, oh, it's kind of, it is really interesting. Yeah, so we, we're kind of trying to push some resources out and there's there's a whole load of uh, audio resources around this and videos. Sorry? Yeah. Blog posts. Yeah, and blog posts. Yeah, I mean, there's actually, if you go to dowo.org, you can download resources, which are a whole load of writings uh, and documentations and some kind of uh, diagrams and videos and all kinds of stuff about the conversations that have been going on. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And then so with that, you got into ethereal... Yeah, so I, obviously I've known Sam Hart for a while and also one of the, one of the other artists here, Sarah Friend, who's uh, made... We commissioned her to make a work called Clickmine last year. Uh, which is a blockchain-based artwork, and um, you should probably talk to her as well. Okay. Uh, but this is a so, so click mine is a it's a clicker game in which you mine the tar sands and create a big black hole using your ether. It's it's kind of very existential and kind of beauti beautifully resonant, I think, with some of what's going on in the blockchain culture. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so both Sam and Sarah knew the ethereal guys, so. I think I, I was yeah. recommended as someone to pull in. Let's, let's uh, talk it up with Sam here a second, or for a while. Sam, same question. I my mic here. So we have our guests holding the mic here. They're holding the uh, <laughs> shotgun mic. And um, I don't think you, do you normally hold shotgun mics? Not this close to the table. <laughs> well, thanks for coming here. Um, Sam, can you give us a little bit of background about how even before blockchain, what you were doing and how you got into the space? Yes. So we were discussing this the other day, kind of how I should how I should intro myself because I there's just there's, there's, there's a number of intros I could, could give. Yeah. Um, give, 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 give us the best one. 
<laughs> uh, both my parents are, are artists. Um, so I grew up in an artist household. I've, I've kind of been uh, in that environment for, for a long time. Um, I saw uh, neither of my, my parents were really able to uh, have an art career in the way that they wanted. So my, my mother uh, is an art teacher um, and worked in a bookstore for a long time. My father does uh, kind of masonry and, and um, stonework. Oh, yeah. uh, and so I uh, like grew up drawing and in um, art, art class instead of daycare. And then, um, but I was a little bit frustrated by um, that experience of like seeing my parents not really be able to do the thing that they wanted to do. Um, and so I went into the sciences and I now work as, uh, also something that I, I really love, there's the, a kind of, um, there's a, a parallel in, in the kind of fascination with, you know, you know with reality, you know, trying to, that kind of investigative mode I, I think is... Um, like parallel universes and stuff? No, just the, the kind of uh, methodology I see a, a lot of parallels between those. There, there's just a, an investigative kind of uh, attitude that that I thought was shared between the two. So I, I went into science. I, I, I work as um, I work in genomics now. Um, I have a background in um, like biological physics, Whoa. and so I, you know, have done um, research in molecular simulation. Um, and then, I feel unworthy to sit at this table right now. Uh, well, what's coming to mind? Do you, do you, are you an E.O. Wilson fan? Consilience? Have you? I'm familiar, but I've, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, because it, your talking makes me think of that book. So. Yeah. So I I still do that. I still do genomics research. Um, and but yeah, I is wanted it independently to, or with some company. With uh, uh, I do cancer research with um, yeah with. Sloan Kettering, which is a cancer research hospital, okay. uh, and I, I also do a little bit of work in um, uh, this kind of strand of immune and genetic engineering that they have. So, um, but when I took that job and moved to New York City, I wanted to stay connected to the arts, mm -hmm. and so I started an, an artist magazine, an online publication, Avant, Avant.org. Um, and uh, since, 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 since I have a, a technical background, a lot of the work that I kind of gravitated towards was media art and, um, and art that just in, engaged technical subjects in, in, in a deep way. Um, so I have that. Uh, like what's a, piece, what's a piece on, like what's a piece that, that maybe you could describe for that? Okay, party people in the house. People in the house. People in the house. It's a good example here. Uh, I've done a bit of work with Julian Oliver, for instance, who I think Ruth knows and, and is also doing some blockchain work now. Uh, Julian Oliver uh, does kind of tactical media, um, and we had we've kind of discussed. Um, uh, for instance, uh, work where he was making mesh network uh, that was encased in a um, 
Yeah, a polymer box that if you like penetrated the box, it would melt the mesh network. So it was a, a means of like physical, um, uh, physical security. So you, you can't tamper with the network. Wow. Um, so that's like much more on the, so you, the you, kind of tactical you media the side. Box and, and try to melt if you were trying to, to enter the the object in uh, order to like uh, physically tamper with the device, yeah. then it would. Sometimes, sometimes it got strange. Like a, an acid substance would, would you know, <laughs> destroy actually destroy well, the, the object. You could probably sell a lot of those. <laughs> That's better um, than a lava lamp. <laughs> I've done a bunch of work with an artist, Taeyun Choi, who has a project called Handmade Computer. Okay. And he, uh, as, as the title says, handmade a computer from like logic, um, logic circuits. Mm -hmm. And that that book um, describes from start to finish um, you know, making a, a clock, making a, a half adder, all the way to CPU. Um, so you get like build up all the skills that you need in order to make a computer. Wow. Through that process, um, he's kind of describing, he uses the, the computer as a city, city as a computer metaphor, um, which is problematic at times, but but it's done in a very careful and um, kind of humanistic way. So all the components are like parts of the city to build up the community. So it's like a macro, micro type of thing. Yeah, and I think it makes you kind of question um, the interactions that you have with one another as being part of a larger um, computational or social system. Sure. Um, there's also kind of power structures that are revealed through that. So the, the kind of history of Silicon Valley as being um, one that came out of uh, military industrial complex is, is kind of um, okay. inserted into that narrative. So um, so Artist Magazine inspired in, in many ways by uh, magazines like Further Fields um, and, and also um, early conceptual art magazines. Um, so I've been kind of doing a set of personal research into the history of artist publication because I um, kind of st stumbled into this territory uh, through an interest in just working more closely with artists. And uh, that's been just a really um, enlightening and, and so fulfilling experience. When you recently. say you stumbled into, how did you like? How did you fall? Was there a rabbit hole? Was it right there? Yeah. So how this started is I um, uh, I was doing some work at a, uh, a number of galleries, like installation. I was kind of like technical director of a gallery uh, in New York. Uh, just putting up artist work as a way to be in that community and make friends. And I was new to New York at the time, and I. I just have an affiliation with that um, that lifestyle and that those people. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a nice way for me to engage with them. And then um, we started started this magazine. So is Avant meaning before? What is the Avant? In, what is what, Avant? How are you How are you using the word Avant? Right. On. Um, it's in the avant-garde. Avant uh, okay. That's definitely where the term is derived from. Um, which, at the time, I. I don't think I put as much thought into as I, I've had to, to kind of integrate that terminology 
And this is kind of why, what led me into this like research on avant-garde magazines. Um, so there's there's a, a deep history of artist publication that, yeah. that I've kind of gone into, and further fields also very connected to. So uh, we can get into that in a little bit, but mm -hmm. um, that. So once you kind of start a publication, now you have to kind of figure out how to run one and and what that social space is and. Is what kind of work you like a. and <laughs> all of that. The, 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 the work that I was gravitating towards was, was technical, um, you know, things about computers and networks and, um, and, and things closer to my own background as well. I mean, I'm, I do a lot of work with computers, um, statistical analysis and machine learning and mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, but also kind of biological computation. Um, so we have a number of projects that kind of touch that area as well. Okay. Uh, so it, it was looking at some of those technologies and, and projects that, that were kind of intervening and, and um, kind of uh, analyzing power structures that, that kind of uh, interact with them and, and how they produce certain social interactions. So um, that just nicely mirrors a lot of the um, concerns and and possibilities that exist in the blockchain, um, and that's that's was my entry point. Um, I, I, I was asked to be part of an exhibition at the Guggenheim in 2015 mm -hmm. um, that was right after the Ethereum launch, um, and it was the subject of the exhibition. Uh, the exhibition was called. Um, Ozone futures market, and it's yeah bizarre. <laughs> o Oz and ozone fun. futures market. Ozone futures market. Wow. You have to so sell the, it. The, the exhibition you was modeled as a marketplace, investment? an online marketplace, and um, and but prior to that, I like had an awareness of, of, kind of how Bitcoin functions, and but I Ethereum was kind of a new was new territory, yeah. so I, I was forced to kind of engage with that. Right. Um, the, the exhibition was modeled as, as a, a functional marketplace, so what, what I did with a friend of mine, Dan Taeyong, was we, we wrote some trading software that, that um, just traded the futures on the, on the marketplace, and then we quickly like, accumulated you know, most of the funds in, in the market and then had kind of control of the market. <laughs> yeah. And then they told us to stop because we were, we well, were mark, like breaking their server. Where, um, what, you said Park Place? Sorry? Where, what, what market was it that you did this on? The Futures Market? Uh, it, was, it was a market they kind of artificially okay. constructed oh. for this context. Okay. Um, so it was on their, you know, <laughs> a Guggenheim subdomain. Did you put it to real use to... Well, the, the, the money, it was <laughs> fake, it was you're fake money. You're paying for your ozone right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. but I mean, the, the, I was it's thinking, that so, if you so took so it to a real futures market with the, the yeah. actual process. Oh, the trading software? Yeah. I'm sure it would, would have, yeah. wouldn't have done anything. Sam could be, <laughs> Sam could be a trillionaire right now, right? Because nobody would know the that there wasn't, there wasn't already a market. <laughs> I mean, the, the marketplace was about as real as Ethereum was at, at the time, you know, like, it was just like totally speculative, right. like interesting, you know, it, it was just a fascination. It wasn't, mm -hmm. and no one really at the time felt that Ethereum was like going to be the 
sure. the kind of medium that it ended up being. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a really nice like play space. Um, I was trying to make these kind of uh, dueling algorithms that were like trading against each other and trying to like, look at one another's behavior. Uh, but I had to stop because I was asked to like. <laughs> Sam's a cold beast, yeah. yeah. Ozone versus greenhouse gases. Yeah. <laughs> if I was gonna write a a, a, new, a new Marvel movie or something, I'm putting Sam as one of the characters. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> Seriously, and he's in New York. Evil so genius. Perfect. <laughs> Captain Ozone. <laughs> <laughs> sidekick in London. <laughs> Oh, I think it's the other way around, actually. Well, all right, well, yeah, she... <laughs> Ruth is the, is the, um, the, the j j j j jizza, the... <laughs> He's the Rizza. She's the Jizza. This is Wu-Tang here, all right? This is just Ethereum Wu-Tang we're talking to right here, y'all. Yeah. Yo, you, 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 you sit by the store for some more baking soda. Yo, 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 get your fucking... Yo, that's made of glass, man. Get your big aviators off my mom's table, man. Um, so then I, I kind of just got, uh, I gravitated towards the ethereal, or I, I was asked to be, um, to be a part of this. They, they were, were interested in producing an arts and culture uh, event, and they had no one who knew anything about art, and so <laughs> they just kind of stumbled into, um, you know, uh, someone, you know, recommended me. Uh, and at that point, I, you know, had been researching and, and um, looking at this stuff, but, but hadn't really conceived of putting an entire exhibition together. So um, that, that um, venue kind of forced me to kind of pick an orientation towards it and, and, and formulate an exhibition. And that was a lot of fun. Um, so I've done the, uh, I've done three now, and this one with, with Ruth, so. That's been a, a great opportunity and, and just an in, interesting space to kind of play in as a as a curator as yeah, an artist. Sure. Yeah, sure. What what is uh, I mean the, over the last year, of course, the growth in Ethereum is any blockchain, but Ethereum has been incredibly large. Do you think like some of the art stuff is is part of that? Like I mean, because it reaches out to more people, or is it is it strictly Ethereum and and. Uh, developers and speculators or do you think like the art world is helping grow ethereum as well i don't really think the art world's helping that much mm -hmm. um crypto kitties yeah, like, maybe um i think that there are um there are ideas from the art world that have maybe translated into the space in a kind of subtle way mm -hmm. projects like terra zero i, I think have have Kind of a power that's like it's inspiring and 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 i think ideas will be taken from um projects that are are at least originally formulated as artworks because there's there's something there yeah um but i i don't think it's like driving right right the price in any sure, sure, meaningful sure. way at the moment icos are what do you think <laughs> about crypto kitties what do i think about crypto kitties um do you have any? I definitely don't have any. I think that they are kind of boring, to yeah. be perfectly honest. Um, I, it, it's a nice like proof of concept that this this is possible. Um, it it suggests a uh, a 
an avenue of exploration. Yeah. But they're kind of rudimentary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from, 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 from a genetic perspective. Oh, from a genetic oh, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> certainly rudimentary from a genetic perspective. Uh, that's but that's okay. I mean, this space was on that. <laughs> Harm von Dorpel. Yeah, so Harm von Dorpel has um, had a very similar project uh, that that he's been um, he's been building up for several years now, kind of precursor to. CryptoKitties, where he was, he was doing genetic crossovers of his paintings, um, and just really beautiful work, um, like visually just quite striking. And the uh, the way that he's he's constructed these actually just mirrors CryptoKitties by chance. And um, once CryptoKitties came out, I mean, so Parm runs a gallery called Left Gallery, which has some excellent work and they've done a, a bunch of kind of tokenization projects when crypto kitties came out um, there's a there's a kind of obvious uh, opportunity to to tokenize the existing um, framework that he had and and kind of extend it a bit more so um, he's pushed that idea in an interesting direction that I, I think if anyone's interested in crypto kitties like that's a nice um, kind of extension of that uh, is, he, is he using like ERC twenty seven twenty one too? Yep. yep. Okay. Same idea, um, but he, he has a, a nice kind of conceptual framework that he's wrapped around it, and um, he he also intervenes at certain points. Um, so there's something that he's kind of interested in with the like the artist's uh, role in um, the production of, of the artwork. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of uh, two people being able to breed their cats together. He tracks on his website what um, visits he gets and like what images are linked to, and the popularity of uh, individual paintings um, cert like surfaces certain uh, genotypes, and then he'll um, select those and, and then breed them. So. Um, there's a kind of indirect, um, you know, the popularity or, um, uh, yeah, the surfacing of, of these these individual examples will uh, then drive the genetic selection process. So, that, interesting. And that also kind of frightens me. The more I see these kinds of uses where there was something the other day, whenever you're talking about genetic things and when people are selecting certain attributes and then they end up selecting particular things and you're figuring out why. Like for the other day we were talking about certain attributes are no longer allowed for a particular uh, kind of an emulation of a crypto kitty like horns or something are no longer, no other future uh, variations of this thing, 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 thing can have horns. And so these mut mutations as well as selections, is it a reflect? I mean, there's a right. study out there. Is it a reflection of how people um, think about certain attributes and all are all the kitties going to have certain things that are reflective of humanity and then everybody else gets weeded out because the you know these selection process are <laughs> it's like a dog look the, like their owners kind of because of, of course the cats themselves don't have choices the, the kitties don't get to choose <laughs> right i mean there's no love there at all they just get somebody just pays them 
<laughs> to breed, just like you know, we see that in, in dogs and cats, and there's just a special thing. But anyway, yeah. but I, the more I listen to these discussions, there, I'm afraid that there's going to be a reflection of some other underlying social behavior that humans are have a tendency toward. But anyway, but that, that might sounds be. like a lot of what you're doing. Like <laughs> you're kind of using technology and data and your genome work and stuff and putting that to how humans interact and so the whole our, our yeah. universe a lot of what i'm i don't know if we want to get into this on the podcast but a lot of what i'm doing like the genomics work that i'm doing is i mean it's, it's cancer research yeah. so it's identifying common patterns across uh, malignant tissues yeah um, so there is a a process of like identifying what is normative and what is you know, aberrant. Um, so. Two words for our listeners to look up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a link to the dictionary. <laughs> Normal and un- abnormal. But that that also you know is a further reason why this this whole space is so interesting because there's so many different professions and industries and yeah. areas that you can come into this it's not just the you don't have to be a developer to, to be part of this because yeah. you can inform this whole discussion in so many different ways and I think that's another exciting yeah. thing yeah. about this is that I think that is one of the attractive things about the space is that blockchain so I really view blockchain as like a, a social technology like for primarily like a lot of Technologies are social, but you know it is a consensus system. There's, there's something just like baked in about it that mm-hmm. that kind of compels um, non-technical individuals to to um, put themselves into that space. And and why do you um, think that is? Like, do you have any idea? Why Why do I think? Why Like, why, why are they compelled? It, why? Yeah. Why is anybody compelled? Because it's. I agree. Like, well, it it. It's supposed to be a, a coordination technology, right? It's, so it's it, it's about humans ultimately interacting with one another and coordinating with one another and and agreeing. Um, sure. Also, the the whole contractual component kind of implies a relationship between individuals or you know, non-human um, entities. So you're a smart fellow, 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 fellow. That opens up a, a space for. People who are non technicians. Yeah, like me. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think the blockchain is an extension of, of ourselves? Uh, in the way that all technologies are extensions of ourselves, I mean, that's kind of a lame answer. Um, there, yes, yeah, I do. Um, do you see it as tribal? Do you see all these things coming? Like, <laughs> I don't know. a lot of people have been discussing this lately. Like, tribal, like, yeah, more so than I would like. Yeah. Um, the so, I mean, if you compare it to like corporations or something, corporations are tribal. Sure. Like, it's just more kind of um, Apple and Android. Yeah, th- that is a competitive environment as well. There's. Because of the kind of transparency of blockchains, I think that there's there's something interesting um, that there's a di- distinction between those two environments. Um, blockchains are are also adversarial environments in the same way that corporate corporation you know, corporate 
um, interactions are typically adversarial. But but it's not driven by like the corporation is driven by like a, a CEO and their board and all that and profit driven. Like blockchain, what what is it driven by? Like because it's like a net the network effect of people kind of driving it, right? That. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to. No, you're good. I mean, I think blockchain is no different to any other technology in that it comes to take on the values and the interests that those, of those that invest in it and those that shape sure. it. So I, I actually kind of think, although it has this kind of uh, libertarian rhetoric wrapped around it, I think because of where the resources are, we're very likely to end up with just a supercharged infrastructure that promotes most of the same unless a lot more people get into it and start to kind of think about what alternatives might be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I see that too. The libertarian view was very big in blockchain, especially in the early parts, but it's kind of, it's been, that libertarian's been watered, libertarianism's been watered down in the blockchain. The architecture's there. That's the thing when you're talking about, you know, the personality of, of the blockchain is, is based on the initial folks who structured it because the interaction is driven by the design and so unless you actually change the design and you may not know how to change the design because you're playing along with the rules that you know you may not know the element that leads to your destruction <laughs> basically I mean you, you may not know I, I guess the th thing that's been interesting for us is that like I was saying to Sam yesterday like, I, like properly bewildered by the kind of emergence of new conversations lately around uh, the kind of the peer-to-peer -peer and distributed web as though this is a new thing you know like the architecture of the the architecture of the web was always and and the rhetoric around that like I'm I'm a recovering web utopian I really thought that the web was going to decentralize power and resources in society and we would all build the world together from right. the grassroots up and you're seeing that same I'm seeing exactly now. the same yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. same thing emerging as a new thought right right and and kind of what happened with the decentralized distributed infrastructure of the web was that networked effects actually come to deliver heavily re-centralized resources and power which yeah. is kind of how come by the mid noughties we have the big five who are really kind of dominating culture and commerce on the web mm -hmm. because actually networks re-centralize uh, massively speedily re-centralizing and i'm not totally convinced that blockchain's going to do anything different right 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 the, the web was decentralized yes just not in the way that we wanted yeah. and you know th there was just a kind of categorical mistake like the web is decentralized in that everybody has the web in their pockets all the time but you know, there was a different form of centralization that that enabled well i think uh, what, what we're seeing is kind of what, what we saw with the web was a kind of uh the promise of democratization because everyone could have their say yeah but that doesn't automatically translate to everyone being able to influence decisions about what happens on the ground or in their localities or in their society. So now everyone can have their say, but it isn't actually where the influence, you know, it, it doesn't change what happens. Right, 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 right. And uh, I, th I think one of the, I've I kind of, I've been drawn by a couple of really interesting artists into the blockchain space, but it's not a comfortable space for me. I've, I kind of went and spent the first, 15, 
15 years working with the web, really just not thinking about money. And it, and it was a space in which people were kind of not thinking about money. So the, all the artists and kind of activists that we were working with, it was more, the attraction of it was that we could work freely together. Right, right. You know, like IP and copyright were kind of enemies of our kind of approach and yeah, our yeah. way of working. Uh, but as kind of since the crash and since pressures on kind of people, the surplus, the general surplus in people, the surplus income that people have all, people's lives are much tougher in London especially, so there just isn't that much surplus, so there isn't so much energy, people don't have the time to engage in this stuff, so we've actually, it's quite interesting that we've been kind of, the emergence of the blockchain and the kind of the internet of money and actually it's, it's kind of calling to account, actually, in some ways. What so, happened? Yeah, well, well, just just thinking about what it, the labour, what it takes to make stuff, uh, what it takes to create infrastructures, just the cost of that. Yeah. And blockchain is kind of, it does help us to think in a more accountant-like way, which I would kind of, I, I would have, I would have wanted to flagellate myself for thinking for, for seeing being a bit taking a more accountant approach is a good thing like five years ago but I yeah. can start to see the value of it and I think it actually kind of translates into quite a lot of other ways of thinking actually more ethically about the way we live our lives together to, to think about how we account for ourselves how we account for the value of what we do and environmentally I think that that's going to become much more important as well and you can, can kind of see the ethics working their way through in supply chain developments and I think that that's yeah. where, where I, yeah, and, all that stuff, yeah. Right, and right. I think that's where there's some really interesting stuff. One of the, the things that I've been thinking about quite a bit recently, and, and I think Ruth will, like, a lot of Ruth's research has, has kind of intersected this as well, is um, the history of, of conceptual publishing artist magazines followed a, a similar um, trajectory where the reason that kind of conceptual publishing came about was uh, white box galleries were a point of centralization that they controlled, you know, who was shown, curated and, yeah. and and they were the gatekeepers. Um, and um, so conceptual art kind of came out of it was a response um, that uh, was intended to to disempower a, a gallery by removing the object. So the object's no longer the important element of the artwork. Right. It's it's a conceptual medium. And and so then it's available to ev to anyone. Um, and publishing was was typically the mechanism by which that was um, that was uh, it, it was distributed. So artist magazines became the, the space for distribution and, and that was intended to empower artists to sell work kind of on their own um, so that I, I think you can kind of see the parallel where there's there's a centralized entity and the objective is to um, to reorient um, where that point of control exists in, in order to you know push it out to the edges mm -hmm. So we both kind of are in that history in, in some respects. It's kind of artists taking a hold of the medium and the distribution channels and kind of working working more in collaboration to yeah. do that. Do you see the blockchain um, being, like it's a lot of it's you know, the decentralization, but 
it's almost like with a lot of these, um, at least early on right now, a lot of these platforms, it looks like it's still a centralized entity, but then the artists can be, anybody can submit. Like, it's not like a gallery where you gotta, you know, submit and go through all this process stuff, but it's, it's still a curation. Yeah, yeah. It's still a curation with the, the platforms, though, right? Like, you still have to, the platform doesn't wanna put in work to promote artists that they don't think is gonna help their their movement or the space in general. So it's just moved to, some of it in some ways is just moved to the blockchain in that regards, right? Like from the art gallery, a physical art gallery, we have that, but then like say like a super rare or rare art labs or any of these other ones, um, you're still anybody, I think it's opened the door more for anybody kind of to submit for cheap or Anybody, as long as what they're doing is making something that is a collect, a digital collectible. Yeah. So it's in a way the context is really narrow there, and there's. And it also all, has the technical yeah. skills to, to do this. Yeah. I mean, it's, right, it's yeah. still like pretty inaccessible for yeah. for many people. Exactly. You, you have to have a platform, and those platform people aren't going to put in all their work just for anybody. Well, for the most part, there might be a couple, but there's to put anybody out there, right? Like. Um, so, so no matter what, it seems like you can't get away from the curation at some level. Am I right in that, or is that yeah. wrong? I mean, there are efforts to do kind of decentralized curation and curation markets and things I've like that. I've heard about it, but have we gotten there yet? Have you seen like what's working on that? Steam it is like that, I think, because you can. There is no necessarily any um, gate that you have to enter into because if you're if you're a gallery, you really want to um, have artists that meet what you think is important is important mm -hmm. to have you still want That's that true. but steam it seems to be there's nobody saying you can't submit kind of like reddit you can't they can't stop you other than from a, it's illegal or well, something they could like use that. their steam dollars to downvote you but that's but, but, but still again, that's, you can that's post a different it way of doing things and too. people won't upvote you right. but, so that in some respect with that curation element i think people like that because i still look for people that I respect uh, that are on a platform. Yeah. If I like what they do, then I'm more likely to pay attention because I don't really have that much time personally to, yeah, to sure. investigate. But, but Steam, it, people seem to pop out you know, every once in a while, but they seem to be more of that ilk. But And then that, yeah, with what you're saying, that's why like playlists have gotten big. Playlists are kind of like the new blogs now because the same thing, like I don't have time to go through and listen to, it's so easy to create music, especially electronic music and distribute it. I don't have time to go and look at every single artist. So you kind of start to trust a certain playlist that, and it, they became kind of curations with like music and stuff, you know? I mean, there was a, there was a really interesting early uh, blockchain platform called Backfeed. I don't know if you know about it. It's, it I think it's I, th I think it's transmuted into another ICO. Um, but that really interested me because it was doing it was some, doing something similar to Steemit. So it's using kind of reputation systems to create. But it was it was doing it in a very nuanced way, or it was promising to do something in a very nuanced way. So it was looking at ways that you could form communities of interest. But it was but you could also opt. You could kind of set set it so that you would be exposed to things that uh, that were outside the things that you that outside were kind your of tunnel outside vision. your tunnel vision. Yeah. So you could, and it, it had it was looking at producing ways 
so that you could really uh, kind of say, right, today I kind of want to, I want to see something that I wouldn't normally see. And so that, and it had ways to prevent a kind of, the, the kind of, uh, the silo effect. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was really looking at a kind of quite, a range of ways that you could start to change the architectural shape of attention uh, in a peer-to-peer -peer way and that I think was really interesting and I'm hoping I'd, I mean I mean I was at a conference a couple of uh, months ago and what was interesting what was fab for us as artists about the web in the early days was that I was kind of moderately techy and I could teach myself in a day to make a web page put it online and share it with anyone so it's very kind of uh, shallow learning curve to get in connection with people and experimenting and playing and seeing what kind of what the effect yeah. would be. And I asked at this conference, uh, you know, when when will smart when will be when will smart contracts be as easy to write as HTML was in the mid 90s? Right, right. And and five years was what they said. So as an artistic medium, it's it's certainly not as malleable. And we're so I think we're. Because we've had the web cycle, we know how transformative these network technologies can be. And we're all, our imaginations are working overtime to imagine what's going to be. And then we're dealing with the frustration of just not being able to get there fast enough. Right, 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 yeah. And I was just going to highlight about the, the thing, thing about HTML is that anybody could write in it. And you, if you knew that it was there, you could, anybody could do it. So now you have to know, right now you have to know several languages and dealing with, or dealing with uh, Solidity and Ethereum, and then there's other things in Ethereum, and then Bitcoin, and so you, what is your entry point? Because H, if HTML had not <laughs> been available to me, and that's my silo, because yeah, I was thought- the one standard that yeah, you're using. Doesn't everybody, because I was in school, or you know, and so I realized I have access to things, and I think, well, doesn't everybody have this? And you don't realize, you know how privileged you are in some in some respects just because you have access to something and you think oh well this is free and everybody should understand this you know I had a I had access to not just a computer I mean I had access to a university computer mm -hmm. and that's not everybody's experience so I learned HTML through MySpace yeah, I just <laughs> <laughs> you had to learn how to build your page up or, or geo, actually GeoCities maybe a little bit for you yeah, I don't. I don't really see the equivalent, you know, in in the blockchain. You're not making your MySpace page, you know, with solidity, right? Right, right. There isn't that kind of personal connection entry point yeah. into it. Yeah. You know, you're not. Well, it's just the even the the affordances of the medium. It's it's like it's not for making web pages. It's for making you know, transactional interactions. Right, right. And and so, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna make like a multi-sig. Contract as my like first first solidity. You know, there there isn't that same like. Oh, I'm yeah, gonna show yeah. you my web page. But what, yeah. what? So, but this this is the thing that I think is almost the most interesting thing. It's it's kind of it promises a new technical medium that has money built into it, and for artists to be working with money as a medium. I think we may get some really wild stuff and I think we're getting wild stuff already and artists, yeah. it's not a new thing right but I kind of uh, kind of I th and I think this is why one of the reasons I feel compelled and we're further feel feel compelled to stay in this space even though sometimes it's difficult and uncomfortable 
is because uh, we think we need kind of more imaginaries in this space about how money can be. And, yeah. and yeah. because of the role, because money is at the cent so much at the centre of so much of the way the world works mm. now, that's kind of, we need more weird shit in there, basically. <laughs> As an artist, we've talked about this a bunch, yeah. like you're kind of trained to, to move the conversation away from monetization it's supposed to be about like a human connection ultimately mm -hmm. and um, that is kind of disempowering for an artist practice um, getting to where this is monetized and how they're making their living and this you know it, it's just Im embedded in the medium so you can't avoid the conversation and that yeah. is definitely going to produce some interesting outcomes and like we were talking yesterday, like the high art, they don't like to talk about money, right? Especially on your side of the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the Americans seem to be much more comfortable talking about money. I mean, I, I have to say, a kind of the art blockchain uh, intersection. In Europe, we, we, we take quite a lot of flack for having, expressing an interest in it as though by having an interest in it we're promoting a culture that is essentially kind of yeah about about commerce uh, accelerationist kind of accelerating us to our doom um, and i think on some levels they have a point but on the on the other hand i think it's really important that we have that we uh, that we have more diverse people in the space thinking this through sure this shit is bug, right? Oh, 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 oh my god! 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 What are your expectations for this this event? Because I know you all have stuff to do, but what what would be like your idealized expectation or result of, of this particular event that would make it like your your cap, your feather in your cap for this this event? I mean, for, for me, um, we're, we're paying quite close attention to documentation of this, like interviews with the artists, because often what happens is that you get to see the outer shell of the work, you see, you see a photograph of it and a short description, and I think the level of reflection and critique that artists are engaging with, I'm hoping that we're going to capture this in some of the videos with the artists and that those will circulate. So to kind of thicken the space up a little bit and kind of introduce more more problems and more human kind of mess into the blockchain space field that that to me is and and to broaden those kinds of conversations in a way that is both comfortable and slightly antagonistic and just kind of generally stimulating so that the conversation becomes broader yeah i think i think one of the kind of qualms i have with crypto kitties for instance is that the the interaction that you end up having with with this object is is like just very superficial and it, it, it's just this kind of immediate read of the aesthetics of the, of the object and um, and that's that's totally fine but there's a lot more to to many artist practices and all of the works in this show invite just a deeper engagement like I, I don't think that we're gonna get everyone here to to spend you know I'm investigating each of the artworks, but my I would consider this a success if we if we have some people who don't have exposure to this type of work um, just kind of find themselves there and and 
really study it and and take something away that they they didn't have before. Yeah, that when we did a we went to a Rare Art Labs did a auction in DC on Wednesday, and it was with Pow Wow International. Are you familiar with them? They're an international art. Yeah, they're an international art collective that goes around city to cities. I guess every year and does these big murals to help uplift the community, and they give the money back to Autism Speaks and a bunch of other uh, cool organizations. And um, all the artists there that they were auctioning off the artworks were had no they did not know anything about boxing, but they're all very famous in their own rights. Um, they had their fan bases. Motherfucker, say what? It was cool to see the people bidding. You know, uh, they were making you know decent amount of money. Through Ethereum, and they were just giddy, like they were like, "What the fuck? Like these people are paying?" And they were like, they were then they came up to me and some other people, and they were just like, "Yo, where are these platforms? How do I?" And they were just, I mean, they were they were like, "This is amazing," because a lot more graffiti artists and graffiti artists, it's very hard for graffiti artists to get paid off their work in the streets. You know, they might make, they might make it to a gallery or some T-shirts or some concept designs or something, but. You know, they were they were just like, wow. So these people are taking my prints or my my sketches, and they're they're buying those now in a digital way. At that point, you already have a baseline of value, and that is very difficult to start as an artist and say because people will ask, well, how much did you sell your art? Yeah. And that's. It's on the blockchain. (laughs) Documented. Check the block explore. Let's let's talk about the future real quick. uh, Yeah, that's a great, it's a great subject. Yeah. You go. (laughs) So, beyond ethereal this day, what is going to be the future, Sam of? blockchain and art where do you see it going well ruth and i are planning on doing some more collaborations so i'm excited about that happening in the future we're working on a project with a number of other um institutions artist organizations Mm -hmm. called guild uh so that is going to be a um yeah a collaborative a, a, a way for um you know independently run um uh, artist galleries and magazines to um, to work with one another and in- engage the um, the industry in in a, a way that um, you know that helps with storytelling and education and and just kind of makes that uh, makes that transition a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, artists and engineers don't always speak the same language, so sure. we're trying to develop. Um, just an interface for both that that makes those interactions easier. So that's yeah, and, and it creates a space in which more artists can come in and use blockchain as a medium and explore the kind of poetics of it. Yeah, so you you got you all to be clear, it sounds like are more interested in using the blockchain as the as the medium for the art instead of like a crypto kitty, which is like a beanie baby on the blockchain or. But sorry, maybe yes. not. But maybe it is. 
Um, I or, hate I hate crypto kitties. There you go. I've said it. You can put that statement. <laughs> They're just far too innocent looking. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there one on auction today that's a little more edgy? Because there's like a broken something on the edge of the. Oh yes, I actually I haven't had a close look at that. Well, so much. now they have the composable uh, tokens, right? So we can just give the crypto kitties like, you know, we can give them like knives and things. <laughs> so we can make them much more menacing. <laughs> There's room for subversion there. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So in. Basically, I, I think that's cool, though. Like, you all are very forward-thinking. That It's not just put art and sell it for Ethereum or something like that. You all are like, use the blockchain, the data points, the, the I mean, transactions. We've been, we've been very interested in artist contracts yeah. and uh, mechanisms for, uh, for incorporating studios within a set of contracts, you know, governance systems with artist collectives. You know, there, there's like very powerful um, social interactions that, that I think can be enabled um, that, that artists are already very interested in because this is something that they just they, they feel every day. So, so, so the thing that we're looking at at Furtherfield next is because of our public location in a public park in North London, we're really interested in looking at how, that, like one of my favorite actual functioning blockchain cultural projects is uh, Resonate.is, uh, it's a kind of cooperative for music streaming. Mm -hmm. So you, you uh, yes, and, and the profits are shared between both the musicians, the labels and the users. And the, there's something about uh, putting cooperative structures into DAOs that I think is really interesting. Yeah. So we're going to be looking at building some kind of cooperative DAO that connects the artists that we work with with the public users of the park so that we're finding some way to connect artists and audiences and blur that space and help to kind of build a shared sense of the value of that. The consumer kind of like A&Rs or... Craft, helps craft the. They, what they you're become advocates and ambassadors and promoters and yeah. maybe critics and maybe stewards and, and guardians. And they, you know, it kind if of. They do that normally for their artists. They could actually earn some money doing that. Yeah. So yeah. how can you create yeah. sustainable uh, culture, like micro cultures mm -hmm. and sustainable uh, communities that just didn't exist otherwise, right. couldn't exist otherwise. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's it, in some ways, I mean, in the UK, we have public funding for the arts. It's, it's kind of under a lot of pressure now. But, and I'm a big uh, kind of advocate for public funding for culture. But one of the things that the pressure has done is that it's kind of really forcing a lot of people to rethink their relationship with who their audiences are and to kind of think about the value of what they do and how to keep that a more open and more... Uh, yeah, a more fertile space so that so that you don't just receive public funding and then put something on that you think people with, that you think is good for them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's more kind of co-produced, and I think there's something in this space that is going to allow us to explore that. And it's going to, you know, the idea of bringing together decentralized and corporate in the same, you know, yeah. sentence is kind of an antithesis. You're not that's supposed to be the 
opposite of it, but the problem with any maintenance of the commons is getting people to be willing to pay, and that's why there's a tendency to centralization because then you have control. Because yeah. that's the difficulty with open source software now yeah. is maintaining it and the documentation. And yeah, you can go to GitHub, but there's absolutely no way of knowing what is going on or or making the changes or understanding it. So that's why there's a tendency because you want a good product, but if everybody says, "Oh, it's up there in open source." And then they have this little component of it that actually makes it work. That's proprietary. Yeah. You're not, you know, it's a very, very, it's very interesting in that respect because, like I said, back in the academic, academic world, you were putting it up for free because it was part of your study and part of your research. But and it's already paid for. It's already paid yeah. for, and now <laughs> yeah. there's real money. Yeah. And they people want to see results, but if you like, it's up up there on GitHub for anybody to take down. Then trying to monetize, it's it's very difficult, but. That doesn't mean it's impossible because I think there are structures, business structure, uh, community business structure, I guess, maybe, yeah. that could be created where you get, can get a result that everybody wants. But I, this might be the the framework to do that because so far, you know, you can't rely on the government to do it, the, the public space, not necessarily. Um, and then if you even have a nonprofit you know, philanthropic organization, they have a purpose and they're, they're trying to move something forward and they mm -hmm. have an agenda. So you can't really rely, necessarily rely on that, but this might be part of that conversation. We, we are seeing in the UK a, a kind of resurgence of uh, new cooperative structures. And I think that's really interesting to me because it does, it, it does suggest a kind of democratization of money. Uh, or structures for democratization of money and so I think some, something that is bringing these two things together feels very exciting to me. Um, yeah, whether kind of service users and service provisors, providers have a kind of shared incentive to make something work and where different, it may not all be kind of uh, payment as a reward for labor, it might be, some of it might be, you might be doing something that is actually starting to look a little bit like a kind of micro local currency as well. I or, think if yeah. we you know, encourage artists and and other individuals to, to kind of view this as a, a cooperative and a coordination technology, like that can produce some interesting results. Yeah. Um, just for new kind of notions of what public space looks like and how it's managed um, and, and public resources. Um, a question real quick. If, um, if you were going to a deserted island which which uh, blockchain do you take out of all the thousands of them? Well, I've always I have a soft spot for Aragon okay. for some reason. It's kind of it promises to allow you to make shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, shout out to Aragon. Uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> um, I've also been pretty interested in this uh, in Chia. Uh, recently, which is made by the founder of um, of uh, BitTorrent, okay, and it has a an interesting. It, it, it's just has this very similar structure to Bitcoin, but it uses um, uh, it fills up your hard drive. Essentially, it's kind of a proof of space, but it essentially makes these like bingo cards. Um, so it's not as energy intensive, and it's just a very clever kind of design. Yeah. Chia. 
Can you I take Can I take uh, Dogecoin as my pet? Oh, yeah. Oh, Doge. Well. Yeah, you gotta take Doge. <laughs> of course, Doge. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all, y'all need to create some, get your artists to create some uh, rare puppies. Puppies. That way it's <laughs> rare the rare Pepes and the Crypto Kitties and merge them together. Everybody loves dogs. <laughs> I can see Sam already thinking it all up. He's right <laughs> No, thanks. Actually, in our book, Rob Myers has written a story, a, a kind of future fiction called Bad Shibe, which is the world set in the future of Doge that you kind of have yeah, to read. It's, it's Doge maximalism. Yeah. yeah. I love Doge maximalism. You'll love it. Everybody needs their own Doge. Like, even if it's just one Doge, you have to have some Doge. There's, there's three jokes in every sentence of Bad Shibe. If you're a real nerd. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, the, on the topic of Doge, Doge and Ethereum seem to have a... Uh, a bridge. Yeah, a bridge. <laughs> are are you all familiar with? Yeah, they're, um, they're at Ethereum. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shout out to Jessica, Trubit, all of them. Hello, everyone. This is Jessica Angel from Art Project Decentralized. You guys are listening to Art on the Blockchain podcast, hosted by Jay Skrilla and Cynthia Gayton. Um, are you all familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You, what do you all think of that, the client bottle and all that? So they're doing a um, a, uh, a makerspace here, and yeah. I think that's a... I, I like that format a lot. I think it makes a lot of, a lot of sense in this context. It just invites collaboration and, yeah. and just direct interaction. So, I, I think that's a good um, conceptual space for them to play in. The Klein bottle. <laughs> I like the Klein bottle. I think I, what I like it the make space in the Klein bottle. It's it's an art in an art. You get, you kind of got this recursive space, yeah. which makes me happy. Right. Yeah, and it has a kind of Bucky Fuller feeling to me. True. It's you know it's a ut- utopian uh, architecture. I like it. So y'all are from the other sides of the Atlantic Ocean. Whose whose side is driving this this more, in your opinion? I mean, further field has has definitely like led the way with with um, just. I mean, they have a book out on the sure. subject, and it's just authoritative. There's really great material in there. Um, I have been looking to that. So just in terms of like art and blockchain. I guess I'm, what I'm looking for is more like the region, like America. I think the whole Europe. kind of uh, digital scarcity and rares and collectibles is well ahead here. It, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not even aware of any That's any of that American work going thing. on in in Europe or yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a really quite a lot, a lot of work going on in the business of art in the blockchain coming out of. Uh, I, yeah, I imagine it's happening here. I'm more aware of the stuff that's going on in the UK, and st- stuff around artist resale rights, and uh, with DAX in London, they're doing some really interesting deep research into this. Yeah, yeah you're just talking about the the industry. Yeah, I around. guess like the the culture, yeah. the two sides of the Atlantic Ocean, and how they're dealing with art and blockchain. So. I mean, I, I think that there's a little bit more going on in Europe, personally. The uh, New York, there's a small contingent. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the resources kind of get sucked into consensus here. I mean, there's just like a, there's more kind of micro projects that are going on in, in Europe. Is my my 
general I feeling. Think, yeah, I mean, in Europe, there's there's uh, IMAL in Belgium, there's REAT in Austria, and these are all, all kind of small grassroots organizations that are doing really hard critique of, uh, of the space, yeah. uh, and kind of quite detailed research into social impact, and, and social impact in and on a really kind of taking quite a from the microcosm to the macrocosm, right, you know, right. uh, looking at kind of cybernetics and all kinds of stuff, yeah. and kind of thinking about what it means that we're imagining a world with no regulation, and actually trying to really look at what that means and not be casual about it. Right, right, right. And then bringing bringing different kinds of people into that space. So I, th- I, I kind of see more of that work going on in Europe. It may just be that it's I because agree. it's where I, I am. I, yeah. I think it's- I'm encouraged by stuff like Bail Block in, yeah. in New York, yeah. um, and they're here as well. I mean, that's, that yeah. project's just amazing. Like, what's it called? Bail, mi- Bail Block, okay. mining Monero oh, to, yeah. to get people out of jail. Oh, oh, that's, that's oh my God! All right, great. Well, um, really appreciate the talk. Yeah, thank you. Great conversation. Um, I've learned a lot. I'm gonna go down some rabbit holes, especially with this book right here. Ruth. <laughs> yeah, buy artists rethinking the blockchain. Artists rethinking the blockchain. Where can they get it at? Uh, you can get it from Liverpool University Press if you if you type it into your favorite search engine. Uh, it, you can buy it from Liverpool University Press from the US, so oh, that's fine. Uh, it, you can get it free online if you go to talktalk.net. That's T-O-R-Q-U-E. Who are our co-editors and publishers? do a lot of really experimental publishing stuff great guys but they have also made it available for free bastards <laughs> if, if you have a job buy the book if you are a struggling artist and you really are interested in this go download it maybe yeah. i think ruth would probably agree with that yeah, exactly absolutely I, I would also encourage listeners to to go to further field and read some of rob's and and the other pub um, yeah uh, posts that you have on on uh, art and blockchain it's just a really great introduction definitely yeah sweet